Trek Profiles Podcast, Episode 3, recorded April 2018. This is the Trek Profiles Podcast, where each episode we sit down with a Star Trek fan. We learn their story and we try to figure out why this show means so much to them, to us and to each of you. I am John, your intrepid host of this whole enterprise, and I welcome you to this, the Trek Profiles Podcast, Episode 3. If you wish to get in touch with us, you can reach us via email at feedback at trekprofiles.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Trek Profiles. Warning, as we record this, we have reached the end of Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery, so all previous Trek content up to and including that point is fair game and may be discussed on this episode. You have been warned, human. My business partner, show producer, and all-around sidekick is the M5 Multitronic Unit. M5, would you like to say hello? M5, all systems available. This unit must survive. The M5, such a delightful AI. M5, please give me the communications for this week. Messages now displayed in our main console. First things first, this show is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network, and it's devoted to bringing you the most amazing and wonderful Trek shows. Please do check out our Discovery-focused podcast, Disco Trek, which features Jeff and Heather and a rotating panel of fans as they discuss Star Trek Discovery. There's Drawing Trek and Reading Trek, uh, two different shows that cover Star Trek and comics and books, respectively. There's the wonderful Trek Ranks, uh, led by the Yoda of Star Trek fandom, Jim Morehouse, and of course, Politrex, which combines new and a current events-driven view of Star Trek. Really interesting take. Another way you can support this or any of the other shows on the network is to visit us in the iTunes store and then rate and review us while you're there. It helps other Trek fans find us, and we would appreciate it so much. And if you can't find this particular show in the iTunes store, it's there, but you can find a direct link to it on the How to Listen page on TrekProfiles.com. We've been getting quite a lot of activity on Twitter, which is great to see. Uh, One fan suggested that I tweet out the Kobayashi Maru questions after each episode goes out, and we see what people have to say about them. I thought this was a great idea. So I collected responses from Barry DeFord's episode, which was episode one, and I had the M5 tabulate them. Let's see what we got. Question one was, time to relax. Will it be a visit to Risa or a visit to the holodeck? Our guest said the holodeck, and by a large majority, most people seem to agree with this choice. Although maybe I'm a little bit of a purist in that I prefer real life over a simulation myself, but that's how it goes. Question two was coffee with Janeway or tea with Picard. Now, Barry selected tea with Picard, and so did 61% of respondents to my Twitter poll. Being a coffee guy, I think I selected that experience just for the beverage, but so be it. Question three was, you've got the Rigelian flu, so you head to sickbay. Doctors Crusher and Bashir are both available. Whom do you pick? This was a close one. Barry selected Dr. Crusher, and so did 52% of all respondents. It's an interesting question because it's not really about which doctor do you like, but whom do you think is the better doctor for you? Now, I should tell you we'll have another doctor question on the Kobayashi Maru this week, so maybe you'll all enjoy that. 
The next question was all about having a snack with some characters from the Star Trek universe. You had to choose between some fortune cookies with Mirror Lorca or Gah with the Dura sisters. Now, I remember Barry specifically selecting Gah with the Dura sisters without any hesitation, and he even added, of course. But he was in the distinct minority on this one, with 87% of people choosing cookies with Mirror Lorca over Gach with the Duras ladies. I'd be interested to hear more about why people picked that. Was Mirror Lorca really the favorite, or was the idea of Gach and the Duras ladies so revolting? I don't know. Tweet me or post on Facebook and let me know what you think. And finally, the M5 put the question to Barry, would you rather have 100 triple-sized Gorns or one Gorn-sized triple? Barry and the fans are in agreement. Most people said that a Gorn-sized Tribble was clearly preferable. Why? I am totally not sure, but there you go. That's all the subspace communications for this episode. Now let's start the interview. M5, show me the background materials and open up a channel to our guest. M5 Technologies. Her favorite character is Counselor Troy. She loves the 1701D because of Next Gen. And her favorite episodes of Star Trek are whatever fits her mood at the moment. You can find her on the Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. She is from that most wonderful of oases. No, I am not referring to the planet Risa, but to the wonderful city of Las Vegas, Nevada, North America, Earth in Sector 001. It's Amy Nelson. Amy, welcome. And thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me, John. This is a true pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'm excited because you are clearly one of the people who's uh, built up a, a big reputation in, in Star Trek podcasting, and I'm just so thrilled, and it's really such a treat for me that you would agree to come on the show, so I'm excited to have you today. I have my first question that I always ask everyone, Amy, and it's, are you a Star Trek fan? I am a Star Trek fan, Absolutely. Are, are you, as, uh, as the uh, inestimable Jim Morehouse puts it, are you a completist? Have you seen every, all 700 and something hours? Oh, dear. Well, if anyone knows me at all, knows that I could say firmly yes to the next generation. Um, I did a rewatch at the beginning of the 50th anniversary um, of Star Trek. So I did start and finish Enterprise completely the way through. Uh, the others, oh, and I for sure have done the original series because I watched all of those before Star Trek 09 came out. Um, but the other DS9, Voyager, those two, I've seen the majority of them, but I cannot say I'm a completist on that. How about Discovery? Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I, sorry, I forgot about that because I podcast about Discovery. So I've definitely seen that, that one. And, and animated series? Oh, thank you for reminding me. Obviously, um, I have seen bits and pieces of the animated, but I can't say all of them. It's, it's certainly an interesting diversion, and I would certainly recommend it as something to watch just to have a very different spin on Star Trek. And there's actually a couple of episodes that are quite interesting, I think, and, and worth talking about, but uh, certainly yeah. not up there with the rest of them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in the same shelf as, as DS9 or, or, or TNG. No, I, the ones that I have seen definitely have enjoyed them. So I just need more time, actually. <laughs> no worries. So did you watch TNG when it was on an original syndication or did you come to it later? Yeah, I did watch it in original syndication. I was in high school. Um, I caught it probably season five is when my mother 
actually introduced me to it. And she said, hey, you might like this show. It was showing on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. in Utah. And so that was sort of our Sunday night ritual once I decided I liked it. And so you hadn't seen TOS before that? So that was your first introduction? Yeah. My younger brother, who's actually eight years younger, he was really big into TOS. Like he, and again, eight years younger. So he was elementary age and he was doing, going to, you know, conventions and he just loved Kirk and TOS, everything TOS, you know, and back then it wasn't cool to be a nerd. And so I just thought I had this nerdy little brother that liked crazy Star Trek. So uh, my first introduction, I, I still give credit to my mother. Do you remember what the first uh, episode you saw was? I don't. I would like to say cause and effect, but that's just because it's such a great episode. I really do not remember uh, what the first episode was. And so you said that it was something that you watched with your mother. Was it something that was really about just being with your mom or did the stories draw you in or the characters? See if you can put put your finger on it. Oh, yeah, it was definitely the characters. Well, and the stories were very interesting, too. So I'd watched it through high school, um, sort of dropped away a little bit as I was going to university. But then when I started my teaching career in 2000, I was like, gosh, I need to decorate my classroom. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And I had loved Next Gen. I'd watched it, you know, pretty much all the way. And it was always on reruns. So I had continued. If it was on, I would catch it. It wasn't a must-see TV. But I definitely had my fair share of watching it. And then when the DVDs came out, man, that was just all on board. I was watching all of those episodes at night, and I actually went to the library to check out some books of The Next Generation, and it was so cool because my library in uh, the city of Riverton, Utah, they had an entire section of Star Trek books. So I didn't have to know any of the authors. I mean, there's so many authors. I would just go to that one section and they had all the Star Trek books together and I'd find one that was TNG. I'd venture into some Deep Space Nine, maybe some Voyager. But, you know, I just really loved, loved my next gen characters. And so I would read those books. I was going to the library, you know, every week just to pick up a new book. I could not get enough of Next Generation. Uh, it's funny, we have a similar story because I, I was of an age where I, I grew up in New York and I watched uh, TOS. It was on every night in syndication and reruns, uh, if that's the right word for it now. And uh, it, there was nothing else. So I watched those episodes repeatedly and books was the main thing that was coming out. That was the only new Trek we had mm-hmm. at the time. So I downloaded, uh, downloaded, look at me with my 21st century words. I uh, bought or went to the library and took out so many Star Trek books. And to this day, there are a few of them I can, I can point my finger at and say, you know, this, these books kept my interest in Trek alive when there wasn't Mm -hmm. anything else that was on. Right. Um, Yeah. Do, Do you find that when you read the books though, that, that sometimes you might how do I want to describe it, that you have a different interpretation of how the character might act in the situations because when a writer is writing it, it might be a little different than what would be produced on TV and you might have a different interpretation. 
You know, I never really felt that way. When I would read the books, most of the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're capturing the essence of the character and they're using the same words that they would use. I just, I was really, really impressed with all, I mean, and I was reading, I mean, like I said, there were so many different authors. I remember Ian Jen Friedman was one that stuck out in my mind that if I saw his book, I would just grab it. And that's, you know, sometimes when I ventured into, you know, other series, because I knew I really liked that author. And so I, I just was very much overall impressed with how they captured the characters and just, it made me feel like I was watching another episode. It was perfect. Do you think you can remember any of your favorites? Oh dear, man. I was reading them so quick and so fast. Um, but Imzadi, that mm -hmm. was definitely a good one that I remember. Um, I have a couple, but um, I keep them at school and I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, so no, I was just reading them so fast. I, I couldn't even tell you any of them. Actually. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I don't blame you. I know I put you on the spot there, but you know, it's my job as your interlocutor on this whole enterprise to present you with false dichotomies and tough questions and entice you to select between them mm -hmm. and also to drop mad pun bombs. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you were watching TNG when it first came out, um, when you, when you started watching it in season five, I think you said, and then mm -hmm. you, and then you got into the, into the books and mm -hmm. then you started teaching. Now, if I, can piece together the timeline right. That's about when Enterprise was also coming on the air in in the early two thousands. But it that sounds like correct. you you gave that a pass. Um, I watched more Enterprise than I did Voyager, Deep Space Nine. So you know, Deep Space Nine came on obviously the same time as Next Gen, and I was too devoted to Next Gen to even give it a second thought. Voyager came out and all the hubbub of a female captain. And I did watch quite a bit of Voyager in the first run, but again, it wasn't must-see TV. And then when they were announcing Enterprise with Scott Bakula, I was all in because I'd love Quantum Leap. Um, I was just very excited to see how they would do a prequel. And so I did watch for sure first and second. That was must-see. I recorded it on my VHS tape back in the day. And uh, you, you and me both. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, I recorded it and watched it every week. And then I got lost in the Zindi. It just did not appeal to me. And so then I sort of gave it up season three. And then season four... I was like, you know, you'd see uh, advertisements for it. I was like, oh, well, that one looks good. And it doesn't look like there's Zindi in that. So I started picking it back up to, to season four. And then I'm not going to lie, the last episode, it screamed to me. I mean, it, and, and now as I see it, I know that it was a bad ending for Enterprise. But I'll tell you what, I tuned in. It had Riker. It had Troy. I was not going to miss These Are the Voyages. And I was it that episode at that time spoke to me. And that was the reason why I sort of started watching Enterprise that fourth season. And yeah, it was and I know why it's bad now, but it 
definitely was fan service for fans like me. But I, I think it's, I, I understand completely why it's a controversial episode for a lot of people because that ending had a way of, of almost invalidating everything that had gone on before. Right. Right. And I, I get that. I, I have to admit, I felt a little bit that way myself in the most recent, uh, the most recent, in the season of Discovery that we just watched uh, with the information about Lorca is that I thought we were getting this very deep sort of analysis of this mm. very broken guy yeah. and, and how he sorted out his life. And I was hoping that he was going to turn around and become more of the Star Trek sort of captain that, that we wanted or were used to. Mm-hmm. And I was very interested in that story. And when it turns out he's mirror universe guy, the whole thing sort of goes away and it's like, well, he's just a villain. And that was that. And I, I, yeah. I, I sort of had a, a, the same echo of that feeling. But one, one of the things that's interesting to me is that we can all be Star Trek fans. And one of the things I've never run into is that people don't really say that you have to love all of it equally and to the same level as I do. Um, you can pick your favorites and that's okay. And there are people who are very into Trek, it seems to me, who have given total, not just seasons, but whole versions of it a pass. Well, I think there are, and I've come across now that I've been in this Trekdom, as you will, this fandom, uh, you know, the longer I'm in. uh, Unfortunately, I do see some people uh, that say, oh, well, then you're not a Star Trek fan. I mean, because really, my passion is next gen. And so I know that, I remember it. And I know, seriously, I know that I've seen every episode of the original series. But if you start describing one, I'm just not going to remember it. It doesn't stick in my brain. But that's not to say I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I seriously have had people say, oh, well, you don't like Deep Space Nine. You're not a real Star Trek fan. I was like, "Mm, I'm just going to, you know, let you think your own thing. And I know who I am and I know my fandom and I know my love for Star Trek. And so you can have your opinion, but I will have mine. There's always gatekeepers out there that set these bars of of what is or isn't. And I think there's something I want to say for later. I I want to come back to this because I think there's a much deeper question at the heart of it. But I, I want to save it for, for a little bit later. Uh, but right now, I just want to understand the parameters of your fandom. So uh, you've made reference to the fact that you're a podcaster. And uh, so how many podcasts do you do? And, and what are they focused around? I'm going to take a wild guess that one of them is next gen focused. You are correct. Yes. I started podcasting during the 50th anniversary on Trek FM. They were doing From There to Here They were doing 15 minute, they covered two episodes and they covered all 729 at the time. It was obviously before discovery, but movies and episodes. And I caught the tail end and watched a couple of Voyager episodes and started podcasting. Um, Then they were looking for some hosts of Earl Grey. And they asked me, I was so honored and I started talking next generation and I still talk next generation um, on Earl Grey on the Trek FM network. Since then, I have Discovery started and they asked me to join that podcast, which is called The Edge. They also had some sub shows, I guess you will. 
And one of them was postcards from the edge. And I volunteered to do that because I really uh, enjoy uh, interacting with the fans of, of Star Trek. And so my show was a weekly show whenever Discovery was on. And we, I asked the fans what they thought of the episode. And then I read their comments uh, with another guest. And so I had postcards from the edge. So even though um, Discovery is, no, is not on right now until we get to season two, um, I have stopped postcards from the edge. But once uh, season two gets going, then I will bring back postcards from the edge. So we can say sort of three, um, but... Uh, Earl Grey and The Edge, those are def- I'm just co-hosts. You know, it's not the Amy show. I also have been on uh, the Fandom Podcast Network on Discoville, and I think I've been on more than any other co-hosts or <laughs> any other guest. So I sort of claim them as mine because they are great guys over there. Um, and that talks about the Orville and discovery at the same time. And that has been a really, really fun podcast to work on. First of all, I have to say, I appreciate the deep cut reference to Carrie Fisher in there. So it's always great to cross your fandoms and genres. That's great. Love it. Um, But as someone who podcasts myself, I I know what's involved in it and it's quite a bit of work, but uh, to to do as many podcasts as you do, it, it has to do something for you as far as expressing your fandom. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is a lot of work, and I didn't expect to get this involved with it, Um, but with Earl Grey and then Discovery coming on, I just, number one, it's the people that I work with. The co-hosts and the people that I've met, met actually in person and, you know, virtual through, you know, this podcasting medium and high technology. Like it really is about talking to other great people about Star Trek and about something that I love. And the topics uh, that Star Trek brings up in their episodes and in their series are very pertinent still to nowadays and what we go through and what we see in our world, even though they're 50, 30, 25 years old it's still very relevant. And so because of the friendships that I've developed with these other people on the network and across different networks really is why I podcast. And then secondly is interacting with the fans. So when a show, you know, drops, we have our own little Facebook group uh, on, called the Babel Conference. And so interacting with the fans, that really has elevated, again, the reason why podcasts, especially with doing postcards from the edge, because I'm every week interacting with those fans, with those listeners. You know, it's it really has been a highlight this past year being on the edge. Interacting with fans can sometimes be a mixed bag. So overall, it's been a positive experience for you? Yes. Uh, Like I said, there's only been a few people and actually just recently today on Twitter that that has been called out as I'm not a real fan. But um, overall, people are very respectful. Uh, If they, you know, don't like an episode of Discovery or, you know, any other series, they say why they don't like it. I can respect their opinion. There are many people that disagree with me because I love Nemesis uh, 
oh, I just love the movie Nemesis. And so many people will tell me I'm wrong, but they do so very respectfully. They tell me why they don't like it. I tell them why I like it. And we move on. It's, it's a great discussion when you have it with people who are respectful, that love you know, the whole Star Trek and know that there's good and there's bad. So it's, it's very enlightening and rewarding to interact with the people in Star Trek. Uh, regardless of the merits or problems with Nemesis, I'll, I'll watch it simply because Tom Hardy is an absolute delight and I would watch him reading out of the encyclopedia. Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I love it. D you know, my favorite movie of his, did you ever see Locke? No. So here's the whole premise of the movie and I'm not going to spoil it for you. Okay. He's in his car driving from one part of England to another part of England and he takes phone calls while he's driving. Okay. I didn't leave anything out. That's the entire film. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it is magnificent. It is so good. Uh, I mean, it's not, you know, something that I think is, you know, in the top hundred films of all time, but it is definitely an amazing film. I'd highly recommend it if you enjoy Tom Hardy. And it's L-O-C-K, like Locke? Uh, if you put Locke and Hardy into Google, I'm sure it'll okay. come right up. All right. But the movie was actually filmed, interestingly enough, with the car on the back of a flatbed truck with cameras attached to it. And so he's not he himself is not actually driving, but the car is going down the road in uh, England and he's just talking to people on the phone and these various things are happening. And it's about what's happening in his life and his job and, and, and this whole family situation he has. And, and it's all about why he's driving from where he was to where he's going and, and what that means. But it's all told from the perspective of, of him in the car on the speakerphone while he's driving. Interesting. Very, highly, very interesting. Highly recommended. So hey, you always get a little extra on the John show. That, that's, all right. As, as they say in New Orleans, it's Lanyap. One of my favorite words. Um, okay. So I want to go back to your fandom for a minute. So we've talked about the fact that you're podcasting, you know, which is, of course is a, is a huge effort and a great way to express your fandom. And it's one of the wonderful things that we have access to these days. But uh, let's talk about some of the more traditional aspects of Star Trek fandom. Uh, I assume you go to conventions. I do. And being in Las Vegas, I, I assume you go to STLV. I do. Uh, how many years have you been going? Well, I am going in August, so this will be my fourth year. Um, however, one, two, okay, no, I'm sorry, fifth year. <laughs> so, but the first two, I don't think really count. Um, the first year I went, I got one day pass. Um, I was, I hadn't gotten into any podcasting five years ago. So I just went, I was like, well, what is this convention all about? So I got a day pass and went for the day, sort of check things out. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. So then the next year, um, I got a weekend pass, but just the general admission. Again, I went by myself. Oh, I brought one of my brothers for one day, but I went the other two days by myself Again, just stayed by myself, just sort of watched people, went to the vendor room, listened mostly to the panels. And then that's when I got into podcasting and everything just exploded and all these Facebook groups and really, really took off. Uh, so yeah, three years ago, I was just meeting people and 
having the best time of my life. That was, or was that two years ago? Star Trek, uh, that was the 50th. And uh, so that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love interacting with people. I had my two years previous to sort of do things by myself. And now I go just to interact with the people. I, I don't even care. Well, I do a little. But, you know, the panels, that's now second because I want to see all these people. And in my mind, and I'm sure in your mind, because you're here too, everyone from around the world comes to visit me, right? Because they're coming to my city. So it's just great to have everyone in this Star Trek family come together, celebrate, enjoy each other's company, get a little you know, a little tipsy here and there, but just really enjoy the fandom that is Star Trek. I am so in love with Star Trek Las Vegas. And every year I try and get more and more people to come that I know that I've met, you know, and just make sure to round up the best people possible and have a good time. You know, I, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but as someone who also lives here, I feel this incredible burden whenever I'm at the convention to be uh, some kind of host. Mm. And if someone is asking a question about where should I go to eat or where should I, what should I do or what show should I go see? Or, Oh, I, I, I need gluten-free food. Where do I get that? I feel like I have to answer every possible question from, <laughs> for anybody who goes to this thing. Oh, no, I, I think the people that I come across, they sort of have been here for many, many years. So they've got it down pretty packed. You know, they already know. I always tell them Valley of Fire because that's where, you know, some scenes from Generation are filmed and, you know, but really people just come for STLV and just hang out at the Rio. I mean, I even, oh, I wanted to ask you, do you get a room at the Rio? Because the past two years I've gotten a room because I, it's so sad to leave drive all the way home. I mean, it's not that far. It's, Las Vegas is not a big city, but you know, drive home and I have to leave the party every night. And so now I get a room at the Rio. I'm, I'm right there with you, sister. Right. I, I, I went for, I've been going for a long time. I, I want to say seven or eight years. I really haven't calculated it out because there was a couple of years I didn't go. So it's kind of hard for me to do the math. But mm -hmm. the, the first few years I went, I, I drove in and, and left every day. Right. And it was great. It was a wonderful experience and I really enjoyed it. But uh, there's just, it's like the difference between go, like taking a class mm -hmm. and having like the full on university dorm room experience. Yes, you know? exactly. And great analogy. It, it's, it's the only time that, cause I, I'm a parent, I have a wife and, and my wife is the best lady in the world, but she's not that interested in Star Trek. And mm -hmm. uh, my son's not at that age yet where he's into those things. So I, it's the only time I can be full on into Trek all the time and be surrounded by people where if I say something like, oh, look at these 47 people standing around, someone's mm -hmm. going to understand why that's funny. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't have to explain it. And I think that's one of the powerful things about this fandom is that it's just so positive and accepting. And that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is I, I think that we haven't really figured out yet about why Trek fandom is so special mm -hmm. in that I think it draws people in 
in a way that, you know, we have our problems, but in a way that is just very positive and it has a tendency to be more inclusive and positive than I think a lot of other fandoms I've experienced. And I'm in some of those other fandoms too, Mm -hmm. but um, I I think we really see it at the, at the Las Vegas convention. Yes. have, Have you been to any other conventions? Have you ever traveled? No, I haven't. Um, well, I know it's not a convention, but I did get to go to the Beyond event in San Diego. Oh, nice. And that was just amazing. And that opened up Comic-Con. Um, however, I did not stay for Comic-Con. So I sort of count that as a little bit. I hear uh, nothing but negative um, experiences about Comic-Con. And I don't mean of the panels, but just of the actual logistics of going and yeah. navigating the place. It just right. it sounds very, very unpleasant. Yeah, it, there are so many people. I don't even know. It's gotten too big for its britches is what I hear. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, we're very fortunate that we have STLV here every year. So we have, yes. you know, the, the best Star Trek convention to go to. So it's okay. We don't have to travel. But I, I do have to ask. So do you cosplay at all? Well, I did for the very first time last year. I had, was very fortunate, had my friend's daughter who's in high school. She made me the Deanna Troy blue dress. Nice. I was able to wear that last year. So yeah, I did. I got the curly dark brown wig and the tights and everything. It it was amazing. Um, I'm not going to do it again, but I can say that I've done it and I think I did it well. Are are you going to do something else instead? No, I'm not comfortable in cosplay. So I'm just going to wear my t-shirts and jeans, but all my Trek t-shirts. When you say comfortable, are you talking about like physically comfortable or, or just some uh, yeah. emotionally comfortable? A little of both. Yeah. I will say that last year was the first year I actually tried something full on. Uh, I don't know if you, you had the chance to see me, but my photo actually ended up in the RJ. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, which was uh, a little bit terrifying because I, I didn't know if any of my coworkers was going right. to see that and you know, <laughs> I was going to come to work the next day and they'd say, uh-huh. what is this? Yeah, I was, I was uh, walking around in my full-on outfit. Um, I was a follower of Loki from uh, the original series. So there's that iconic episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Uh-huh. Uh, with the half white, half black. Yes. Yeah. So I have uh, an, a, a black and white checkered suit, black and white checkered shirt, tie, shoes, socks, gloves. And I did my whole head half black and half white. Oh, my goodness. And I had a, a protest sign that said free loci. Uh, and on the other side, it said loci was framed. And I wouldn't talk. I would just walk around and angrily protest. Uh <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and, and this young lady started taking my picture and, and I was trying to actually take a break for a minute because it's hard to be angry for the whole day and look like a protester. And uh, so I, I wasn't really in character. And, and, and she said, oh, what's your character? And I was like, oh, well, I'm not, I wasn't really planning on talking, but you know, blah, 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 blah. And she said, where are you from? I was like, I'm from here. And she's like, oh, I'm from the RJ. I'm taking your picture now. And so that was it. So once she found out I was a local, she had to take my picture a thousand times. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
But the, the, the other amazing thing that happened when I was cosplaying, and I, I really should stop talking about myself because that's not what this podcast is about, but this one fuck story is pretty funny. Uh, I, I was walking down the hall doing my protest thing, and this uh, young lady stops me, and she says, are you a subscriber to All Access on CBS? And I said, well, no, the discovery hasn't started yet. And she says, well, you are now. And she handed me a gift card for CBS All Access. Uh, apparently, oh. this, this young lady, she didn't say who she was or her name, but she worked for CBS. And she liked my cosplay so much, she gave me a gift certificate. So, um, Oh, that is awesome. I know. It's my favorite little story. So I, can, I, got, I got a little bonus. So thank you, CBS. You're awesome. Yes. Do, do you collect? Absolutely. Yes. And so that's, thank you for asking. It sort of goes into what I was talking about when I started uh, teaching in 2000. I was like, well, how am I going to decorate my room? Because I knew it needed to have something, you know, personal and so that my kids could relate to me. So I gathered a bunch of there was a magazine, I don't even know what magazine, but there was some uh, foldouts of TNG characters and I got them laminated. I stole some of my brother's stuff because he didn't like TNG. No. So I sort of, you know, well, he let me take it. I said, I need to decorate my classroom. So I put up in this corner uh, and he had an Enterprise D. It's actually missing one of the nacelles. But I, you know, sort of tried to hide that fact. But um, so I decorated my classroom with Star Trek and I had a whole corner and that was in 2000 and every single year. I'm not kidding you. I have had parents and students give me and other teachers and staff like custodian staff. Oh, you like Star Trek whenever they come into my room. Oh, that's so great. Oh, and then I will get something like a week later. Oh, I really I know that you'll like Star Trek and that you'll take better care of this than I will. And so my collection has grown. I just it's now like a half of my room. It's crazy. So I've got so some the, amazing stuff. So so you're the accidental collector. It's not like you're trying to go out and collect all the ships or all the posters. It's people yep. giving you stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. From uh, negatives from TOS, like actual film negatives, because this person worked on production on Star Trek, the, one of the, my students' fathers. I've had a lot of TOS stuff because... <laughs> I guess that's what people collect. And I got some uh, original blueprints um, and like this ink pad set that's TOS that is all dried up and stuff, but I love it. Um, some playing cards, uh, some mugs, a lot of TNG stuff as well. Some books, a lot of posters, um, movie posters. I have all of the new 09 into darkness and beyond that students, I mean, the student for beyond gave me this poster, you know, at the end of the school year, well, I know you like Star Trek and I wanted to get you something. And so they get me Star Trek stuff because they know I like it. So that's an easy thing for students to get me and they know that I'm just going to love it. Oh, that's just, that's just really lovely. It, it really is. It warms my heart. And I just, I love it. I've gotten so many things from it. So yeah, I'm an accidental collector and I treasure each one that I get because it also reminds me, you know, of my students when I look at it as well. 
Yeah, it, it, it adds to the pleasure of looking at the items. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what's your favorite thing that you have? Oh, my favorite thing. You know, I don't really like favorites. Well, I, okay, I do have a favorite. Last year, yes, it was last year, uh, I had a student draw, hand draw me a picture of Deanna Troy in her blue dress. Um, and oh, how lovely. Yeah, she did an amazing job. I tweeted it and Marina Sirtis liked my tweet. I was so excited. And then last year, well, last August at STLV, I got her to sign it for me. And she was the nicest person to me. And she, I said, this is, a, you know, something that my student drew because you're my favorite character. And and she's turned it over and looked at it. She's like, oh my gosh, there's a letter to you. She's like, oh, do you mind if I read it? And the letter was, I mean, it was long. I was like, well, you don't have to. And she started reading it and just talking to me. And she told me a story about her favorite teacher and how important teachers are. And, you know, so she signed it and just was gracious and very kind to me. So because of that, and uh, Deanna Troy is my favorite character. I would say that is my favorite. Why is Troy your favorite character? Oh, I just, I relate to her, I guess, more so. I mean, she's female. Uh, so, you know, the other characters, Data, Worf, Riker, Picard, you know, they're all male. Um, and so out of Crusher and Troy, I just related more to Troy as part of, I think, her being a counselor. Um, my, so I teach math, but when I went to go get my master's degree, it's in educational counseling. And so I really feel that call to help others um, the best that I can. And so that counseling is sort of innate, I think, in any teacher, you know, because you go into teaching to help students learn and to help them the best way possible. So I felt like getting my counseling degree would allow me to help the student overall and not just the math student. So, Amy, I want to ask you a question, not in the interest of being controversial or to try to raise the temperature, but because Troy is your favorite character, it reminds me of something that another guest on this podcast said, who was also talking about NextGen. Uh, when I had Haley Stoddard on, uh, she said that Guinan was a much better counselor than Troy. And so she always really liked Guinan. Um, how, how would you respond to that? I agree. Guinan, uh, when she came on, she definitely uh, was written better in that aspect, I think, in part because she, she sort of has that bartender, you tell your woes to your bartender. And I think that the writers knew how to write that character better, whereas they didn't know exactly what to do with Troy those first few seasons. And so Guinan actually filled a hole that the writers didn't know they were missing because they weren't writing Troy correctly if that makes sense. No, I think it makes complete sense. And I'd agree with you. And one of the things that I firmly believe about Troy is that 
the character was mistreated in a certain way because whenever they needed a, a female in the script writing to have something bad happen to them or to be abused in some way, she mm-hmm. was always the one that, that ended up drawing that straw for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I always felt bad for her. I thought Marina did great with it, but I, I always felt bad for her. Okay, so we've talked about your fandom a little bit. We've talked about your podcasting. We've talked about your collections. Are there any other ways that you express your Star Trek fandom? Uh, or or things that are important to you in your fandom that we should talk about? Yeah, I think the podcasting and the collecting is probably the best. I do because uh, my family does enjoy Star Trek. We definitely have lots of conversations when I get together with my family. So now that I'm, you know, away from Utah, uh, when I do go home, we always for sure we'll have at least one or more conversation about either the newest movie uh, this time it was watching discovery with my mother because i had the cbs all access and so i did a whole rewatch with her uh, my brothers my younger brothers who really enjoy star trek you know we always have a conversation i mean sometimes my brother will just call me up well did you hear this news and you know so it's really funny because he my younger brother like i said he has been loving tos since he was really in elementary school and so he in his mind he thinks he's the star trek person of the family but now i podcast and i probably know a little bit more especially on the current things you know, so it's sort of funny to see that uh, that shift in, you know, I know a little bit more than you, just saying, you know, <laughs> so that's been fun. At least you're not poking each other going, well, you're not a real Star Trek fan. Oh, yeah. No, we would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, fantastic. Well, let me ask you one more thing about this before we move on, which is, so you, you brought your, your mom brought you in a Star Trek. That was the the origin story that you told me by by uh, suggesting you watch Next Gen uh, mm-hmm. back in the 80s and early 90s. So you brought her along by showing her Discovery. Um, I'm curious if you felt the need to talk to her about Discovery before you showed it to her, or did you feel the need to have some discussion about how this was a different kind of Star Trek, or did you just dive right into it? Uh, and, I'm, and I'm asking this about your mom in particular, but I'm more interested also in what you're thinking about how Discovery fits into the whole series of what we call Star Trek. Right. It is definitely different, especially when you look at Next Gen that is very episodic. Like you have your own little show wrapped up in 47, 53 minutes, whatever it is. You don't have these standalone episodes in Discovery. So to just sit down and watch one episode, uh, you're not going to be able to do with Discovery, especially if you haven't seen the whole season arc, because it is a season arc. You can sit down and anyone not having watched any Star Trek could you know, put in, for the most part, the majority of episodes uh, of Next Gen and get a good story and you know say oh that's that's a great little hour of tv and and understand you know they're not going to understand the complexities of the character but the story is going to come through so with discovery i did tell mom that it was a season-long arc 
Uh, and I told her it was more like Deep Space Nine. She's not a big fan of Deep Space Nine. She likes Next Gen like I do. So she, I did warn her of that, um, but I did tell her that there was definitely some, you know, themes going throughout each of the episodes that could really pick up and that I believe represent Star Trek. Okay, very good. Well, then let's follow up then by talking about some episodes in particular. Um, they could be Discovery. They don't necessarily have to be. What I did is I asked the M5 to prepare an intelligence dossier on you, as I do for all my guests, and to determine what your favorite episodes were. And strangely enough, as you had indicated earlier, the M5 was not able to find sufficient information to determine what your favorite episodes were. But we did get a list of episodes that you were interested in talking about. And so uh, we have The Wounded, Identity Crisis, uh, The Host. Uh, I want to say, what else? Let's see. Let's look at my notes here. Ah, yes. The Loss and Future Imperfect. Looks like these are all season four TNG episodes, strangely enough. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> I have to ask first, why did the M5 generate these uh, episodes? What do they have in common? Why, why did they bubble up? Well, now you're putting me on the spot. Um, I was doing, I was killing two birds with one stone. So <laughs> for my Earl Grey episode, we were talking about season four and I had been watching some and I knew that you wanted to talk about some. And so I chose some episodes from season four in part because that was what was most recent on my mind. So with that said, I really, oh, each of these episodes um, have, I think they're very good character episodes. You get a Geordie episode, you get a Riker, you have a Troy, you have a Beverly. You know, I, I like, uh, you have a Miles O'Brien with the wounded you know, these, uh, generally speaking, you get your uh, Data and Picard stories, you know, where they save the day and they're, I would dare say, the main characters, Picard, and then Data coming in second. So I like seeing these uh, other characters get the meat of the story. You know, I think actually one of these episodes especially ties into some of the stuff we were just talking about, you know, your Troy episode, uh, mm -hmm. The Loss. Um, it's one of these episodes where, again, we're, we're going to have a, one of our characters uh, suffer some sort of abuse in some way or have some something bad happen to them. And who's it going to be? It's going to be Deanna Troy. And it seemed to me in the episode, I, I felt really bad for Troy because it seems to me that she's completely unaware as a counselor of how she's responding to this own negative thing that happened in her life. Mm-hmm. I And that's one of the things that I think uh, the writers did right. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. But I think when you get in the position, especially as counseling, like the doctors make the worst patients, right? And so here's Counselor Troy. She is so used to relying on her empathic abilities and being able to help others cope but it doesn't translate when the world turns on you and you have to take your own advice. I think that is so realistic, that that is so relatable because there's been so many times in my life when I 
you know, life happens and then I have to try and figure out what in the heck is going on and I don't want to, you know, and so you're going to be in denial. You're going to be stubborn. You're going to be mean to people. I just think that the writers made it so realistic and whether they intended to or not, that's how I read it. And so that's why I really like this episode. One of the things that I always notice, and it's maybe because I, I follow the, the current events uh, in this space, but it seems to me that the Federation is a little bit of a surveillance society in a lot of ways. Um, in some episodes, next gen episodes in particular, you have characters who've gone into other characters' personal logs uh, because they wanted to, to find out something, and it didn't seem like they needed any special permission to do it. Uh, in this particular episode, we have Counselor Troy, who is sharing her counseling with, I think it is Ensign Brooks, the, the redheaded ensign, with Captain Picard, incidentally, in a conversation. And I think I jumped like seven feet right out of my chair saying, oh my gosh, <laughs> she's talking about this other person's counseling. Shouldn't that be private? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it really just struck me. But I, I guess that's one of the tragedies of verisimilitude. Uh, when you're putting something on TV, sometimes you don't stick necessarily to what the ethical considerations might be in the real world. Mm -hmm. one, one of my favorite little lines uh, from this episode, I had to, I just, I, I just love this line so much is when Troy says, uh, you all have no depth. And, and then it turns out that there's these 2D life forms out there. Uh, I just thought that was just very clever. Well, and that's, again, this counseling idea that is a very huge part of my life, like I said, is, you know, my master's degree, but then my undergrad is math and talking about this, you know, two dimensional being and how the enterprise gets taken away, you know, sort of trapped in this two dimensional plane. And when the scene comes up that Jordy is explaining it in the conference room, like that is amazing. I love that scene over and over and over again, because that is just so perfect at how they combine the math with it and the counseling. I, that's, so that's why the losses really, I enjoy that episode a lot. Yeah, it's really great. And I can imagine that it probably affects a lot of people that, that are in different sorts of communities where they're talking about different levels of abilities and, and they have some particular challenges or uh, some particular things going on that they don't feel are challenges for them, but they're different from, from other people that it was probably a pretty powerful episode for them too, which is one of the great things about Star Trek is that mm -hmm. it seems to be very powerful in that way for, for lots of different people as they interpret the episodes. Right, exactly. And that's what I love about Star Trek and how, you know, these episodes can mean different things to different people. And so talking to people and seeing how they relate with it, it just builds and enriches my fandom. Oh, talk, talking about people that need to have some counseling, uh, tell me about Ben Maxwell in The Wounded. Oh my goodness, right? I think Picard does a really good job in analyzing and sort of summing him up when he says, you know, when you live with anger for, for so long, it's, it becomes comfortable and it's like old leather, I think is what he says. And uh, I just think it is such, like I said, a pertinent episode, uh, racism, truly racism, you know, because here he is not liking these Cardassians, you know, that we need to look at our life. And, and we see Miles O'Brien that uh, goes through similar. I think he's in denial that he doesn't even recognize that he's racist himself. 
but then we get to see this is a great arc for for Miles O'Brien that when he's in 10 forward actually talking to the Cardassian and saying, you know, it's not you, Cardassian, I hate. It's who I've become because of you. And I think that is a great transition of, you know, putting what's happened to how racism has affected you and not hating this entire group of people, um, you know, I, and, and just seeing how we relate to it, I think is so pertinent in today's society where it seems almost that we're going back in time where racism is truly more and more divided, unfortunately. How did you feel about the very last scene in the episode between Picard and uh, Gull Massette in the Observation Lounge? Oh, well, you know, that's what makes this episode so brilliant because you know Maxwell is onto something, you know, at that scene. And it's these supply ships are not just supply ships. And Maxwell knows it, what, how he's going about it is not the Federation way, is not what he has been instructed to do. And so when Picard calls out the Cardassian Golmaset on it, you know, it's like, we'll be watching. Like, I, I feel like his hands are tied because of the agreement that they have with Cardassia, that they're trying to keep the peace. However, it definitely needs to be reevaluated. And I think that's, you know, sort of how the episode ends. In my viewing of it, I, I felt a little disappointed at that last scene because it turns out, well, oh, they, they were right. The Cardassians the can't be trusted. And uh, I, I wondered if that worked counter for you in, in against the message of the episode. No, I think it, you know, no matter how justified you feel, you can't just go be killing people. That's the wrong way to go about it. So I think, you know, whether you you do have the facts and the actions that you use are going to be more telling than you just having the facts. And so Maxwell, he has the information, but his actions are counterproductive to what his purpose is. And I think that that's the important thing that the wounded brings up. Gotcha. No discussion of this episode would be complete without pointing out the wonderful, wonderful O'Brien and Keiko food discussion. Oh, of course. Yes. That is so good. So good. I, I honestly had no idea if, if that was real food that Keiko was uh, serving to Miles at the beginning. It was like a f- uh, plankton or something. Yeah. I, I, I was like, I, is, that, is, that, is that a real thing? Is that what real <laughs> people really eat? <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it with the turnaround at the end with the potato casserole. So it was, it was really nice. Yeah. Identity crisis. Yes. Jordy episode. Yes. Jordy. How nice was it to see a Jordy episode where he's around a female and he's totally at ease? Yes. Right. That was very comfortable. And, and it reminded me of, you know, cause I've been now to, oh, I'm going to say five different schools. And when you go back to a different school in my case, but you know, when you work on a project or in my case, a, a school, 
like you build those relationships because you're in a trying time and you're trying to accomplish something. You have one goal, one purpose, and then the purpose is done and people move on, but then to be reunited, like that just brought back all the good times and memories that I have with previous coworkers at different schools in different states. And I was so appreciative that he really was comfortable and that there wasn't any weird sexual tension, you know, or that she was actually real. But, you know, it just, it was so good for Jordy to have this strong friendship that to me was so relatable. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I really enjoyed him and Lighten uh, together and and just the ease that they had because the cringiness of Jordy with the whole Leia Brahms arc just mm-hmm. made it made me physically uncomfortable just watching it. It was so cringy. I had to avert my eyes at certain points. And you know what else Jordy does better than anyone else on the Enterprise D? Tell he me. has a great way of communicating with the computer, which is really evident in identity crisis. So before he gets to the holodeck, he's stuck in engineering and he's reviewing and replaying. And he is just so conversational. All right, computer, go back to this time. Uh, Okay, computer, can you do this? And then even in the holodeck that continues, I just love seeing him be so conversational when because his job is working with the computer, right? And so I just think it's it adds another dimension and actually another character to the Enterprise D is this computer. I would think that I, let me let me think about it this way. I would posit that he is so good at talking to the computer because he's been a good friend to data for so long. And I think talking to data is probably something along those same lines. Exactly. Exactly. And it's been something I was thinking about, which is if you were friends with an Android like data or any sort of very human-esque Android, it has got to be very difficult as a human to, to be in that friendship because you're dealing with someone who doesn't get tired the Mm -hmm. same time you do, uh, who maybe doesn't understand social cues to the same degree or doesn't understand some of the subtleties of how people are acting in a moment. So you have to have a very different way of communicating and relating. And I think uh, it's very special that Jordy was able to maintain that friendship. But I think it certainly must have been an adjustment to get used to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Which is one of the reasons I think the friendship is so special. It is. It is a great friendship. So one one of the things though you brought up the holodeck and and I was just actually tweeting about this today and I was engaging with some people online, which is that one, one of the things that I always laugh at is that in next gen whenever they go into the holodeck it's always empty. That's what I love about it. That just makes my math mind so happy because it reminds me of the Cartesian coordinate plane. Oh, the yellow grids. Yes. <laughs> ah, perfect. So well, I love it, and I'm like, why don't we see the grids more often? That's just me and my no, math mind. I, I love the grids, but I, I guess the the way I think about it though is like you're a teacher. Couldn't wouldn't if you had access to a holodeck, wouldn't you be using it every single day for some sort of lesson? Like, okay, today we're going to go back and we're going to look at a recreation of Pythagoras and what it might have been like, like why he was cre- discovering his theorem, you know, or, 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 you know, showing some sort of 3D model in real space, you know, to the kids. I mean, I, I can just think that for reasons other than recreation. Oh, yeah. 
there would be 10,000 reasons to be using that holodeck all the time, you know, whether it's simulations, training, uh, exercise, you know, the school kids. I, I just, I can't imagine that they'd ever not be occupied. So it's yeah. just one of these weird things that always takes me out of the episode. Yeah, I'm waiting for holodecks to be invented so I can be a better teacher for sure. W wouldn't you be using it like all the time? Absolutely. I use all the, as much technology as I can, you know, in my math classroom, so. Perfect. So let's talk about the host for a little bit. Um, wh what about that episode stood out to you? I love that this episode starts out with Beverly in a passionate kiss with Odan. I think their chemistry between Crusher and Odan is spot on. And that's what just sucks me into the episode. I love it. And when Odan, the host, dies, I feel that that, that death really takes away from the episode and, and gets transferred into Riker. And, although, and Riker makes the transition like he is Odan. And William, uh, Jonathan Frakes does a great job. I'm not saying that, but the chemistry that I don't know who to say, Gates or Beverly. I'm not quite sure who. But the chemistry that those two actors have, Odan and Beverly, really suck me in and make this uh, episode very special. I think her reaction, and I know that there's a lot of female listeners that say, oh, well, this is just another episode of Beverly being in love and blah, blah, blah. Like, I understand that we don't want every Beverly or Troy episode to be about relationships, but they're so few and far between in my mind's eye that I love seeing her be all giddy and at this beginning of a relationship and she's, you know, walking data grabs him by the arm. And I mean, it's just, and they're, well, Oh, there, I'm sorry. A, yeah. I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. Th there's always sub Rosa. Well, uh, you had to bring that up. I, I know, I know, but, I just love seeing, because again, to me, that's relatable. I can relate to the interaction that uh, Crusher is having with Odan at that beginning of, you know, a romantic relationship when you're trying to say goodbye and you're just kiss, 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 and you don't want to say goodbye, but you have to go to work. And like, it just, to me, it works. To me, it works. As I watched the episode in, in preparation for this, one of the things that the whole episode hangs on, to me, I, I don't think was clearly answered in the episode. Uh, maybe I'm wrong and we can figure it out together. But in the whole section where Odan is inhabiting the, the Riker body, mm -hmm. is, is Riker still in there and is aware of what's happening? Is, I, I mean, we, we know he's so. in there, but is he aware? Because I, I don't fully under, I don't think I can put myself in, in Beverly's position at all, but I would think that if I was in that position, that would be something that I would be thinking about, that there's a, a distinction between Riker's body and Riker's consciousness. Mm -hmm. And knowing that Riker's consciousness is in that body, even though it's not active, but it's aware, I, I think that would change how I think about the whole thing. I don't know yeah. what you think. I, I agree with you. And I think that's part of the difficulty that Beverly has in making that transition of just instantly jumping, oh, this is Odan. Well, it's Riker too, because I think throughout the episode, 
like when Riker is talking to Picard sort of at the beginning, right when he gets Odan, the symbiont, um, he's still Riker. And so I think that that shift is very difficult to make because you know that there's, well, I read it that she knows that Riker is still there. And, you th- and even though she, he may not be, even though he's not active, but he's aware and that's affecting yeah. how she's relating to him. Yeah, I think so. I, I gotcha. I gotcha. I, I, I thought it was a really great episode, but that was the one thing that I think was, I, I think it could go different ways depending on the answer to that question. So I guess they're leaving it up to us to make up our own minds and figure out w- what we want to do with it, which right. you know, yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Future Imperfect then, uh, the, the fifth episode on the list. Um, certainly an interesting episode with like the the story within the story, right? Is that you have multiple layers of, yes. of things going on at once. What, what was interesting about the episode to you? Okay. I'm not even going to lie. I don't even know how many times I've seen this, but in my notes, I'm, you know, taking notes and watching it. And he finally figures out that, you know, that's some ruse and it's, you know, that they're trying to get this star base. And he goes into the little prison cell with what was his son, John Luke. And the Cardassian starts telling all of his plans. And in my notes, I literally wrote, why is the Cardassian telling all of his plans to Riker? That's so, it's such a big trope, you know? Oh, well, let me tell you my plans. And then it came to my attention. Oh yeah, this is another ruse. This is another reality. And I'm like, oh, duh, I fell for it again. I couldn't even believe it. I just couldn't believe it. But I really enjoy uh, Jonathan Frakes and his acting ability and going from these different realities. Um, obviously, you know, having his son there uh, to interact with and getting to see Min again, Minuet, is always a pleasure. She does a great the job. Amazing and lovely Carolyn McCormick, who yes. I will always remember as Dr. Olivette from Law and Order. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's been on, I, I think, I couldn't even estimate how many Law and Order episodes, but that's how I always remember her for some bizarre reason. Right. Yeah. So I just think there's so many good things. And, you know, it's one of those, like you said, a reality within a reality within a reality. And Riker does a great job with that, as he did in A Frame of Mind, you know, just going from these different realities. And even Beverly Crusher and Remember Me, like she has to go through her own different realities. I just, I think it's a great Star Trek story and a great theme to build these characters with. What do you think the message of the episode is? Of Future Imperfect? Yeah. Hmm. I like the idea that they get beamed away together. Barash and uh, Riker? Yes, that Riker finally comes and realizes and Barash reveals his true self or its true self, whatever, to Riker, that there's, I think the anger has subsided once he realizes what's going on, that this is a lone species. Um, I think it envelops the idea of Star Trek of meeting 
going where no one has gone before and meeting new species and, you know, learning the best from them. So I, I think it encapsulates what Star Trek, that message is, is meeting new life and, and learning from them. Amy, we've taken a look at your fandom and how you express your, your fandom, your, your passion for collecting, even incidentally as people give you things. Yes. Um, we've talked about that you do all this podcasting and we know how much work that is, and, but why it's important to you uh, because of your love of Star Trek and relating to these other people that, that also love Star Trek. We've gone through a few episodes and given an, an examination there of, of why they're important or what relevance they have for you. It brings up a really important question, which I don't think we've addressed yet, which is, in your thinking, what is the definition of Star Trek? Wow. In my thinking, I think the definition of Star Trek is, as it says in the intro, to seek out new life and new civilizations and to boldly go where no one has gone before. I like the idea of boldly going, that you're going to do it with responsibility and with a purpose. I think that's what boldly, boldly means. I like that it's exploration, that it's not so based on war, although there is going to be conflict when you come across other people because you have your way of seeing things, they have their way, but to... That's that's why I love Next Gen. I mean, I know it's just so utopia and it's not, you know, and I know that's why people like Deep Space Nine because it is, I guess, more realistic with the war and stuff like that. But I like the idea, this hope for a better future. And I truly believe that we can get there in our mind's eye of treating others with respect and and welcoming others and their differences and using those differences to better society overall and i i just love that optimism that specifically next gen brings to star trek so at the risk of being controversial do you feel that discovery meets that definition and if so how i do think it does if you look for it. And I think that within the characters that they do have this spirit of exploration. Um, I think you see that in the first episode. Oh gosh, what did, what, is it Battle of, or is that the second one? Oh, the uh, Vulcan, Vulcan Hello. Hello. Yeah, sorry. So I think you see that in the Vulcan Hello, where they're going to explore, they're out there with the Shenzhou, they're, you know, meeting these new species that on that planet where they brought water up to the surface. Like, I think it starts out that way. There's definitely difficulties, but even in the mirror universe, I'm so impressed when Burnham decides to trust uh, Emperor Giorgio and tell her about these different universes and that she's from a different universe. And I think to have that trust that Giorgio is going to respond well, even though we know mere universe people are not as forgiving. And I just, I love that she still takes that leap of faith and believes in 
the better of persons that she does that. And then it, I think the last episode really sums it up with her speech and everything of what we are and who we are and that we are Starfleet. Because I think it's an interesting question because we talked earlier about this idea that there are some fans who are gatekeeping and saying, well, this isn't Star Trek or you're not a Star Trek fan if you don't watch X or Y or Z. And at, at that, those questions all presume that there is some definition of what Star Trek actually is. And it's one of the things I hope to figure out by doing this podcast. What is it? I mean, mm-hmm. my own way of thinking, right? As a as someone who started with TOS and even animated series, it was about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy flying around in the Enterprise, going out into space, right? And mm-hmm. that's because that's what there was. Mm-hmm. And then we had Next Gen, and it's well, it's not Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, but we got these other people, and they're going out there and doing that. But then there's Deep Space Nine. They're not going anywhere. They're mm-hmm. sitting on a space station. And Enterprise had a whole different point of view. Voyager wasn't about exploring at all, really. It was about trying to get back home. And then Discovery had a very different uh, sensibility around it. So it's a question I'm still struggling with in a lot of ways on, on what Star Trek is and, and how to describe it. Uh, and then also squaring that with the production realities uh, of, of the different eras, because, of course, TV made in 2000 is going to be different from TV made in 1968. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So there's always going to be a lot of changes. Um, yeah. Do you feel that the serialized nature of the new show is is presenting some roadblocks for it to be considered real Star Trek? Well, it will always be real Star Trek because they are the ones making it. So uh, let's put that question aside and or change it and say, do I think that it being serialized is hurting the story? I, again, just because I was raised on episodic TV, I would like for it to not be such a season arc. And I, I'm fine with season arcs. I just don't know if I'm fine with it for Star Trek. For example, I love Game of Thrones. I think it's great. And they don't have individual episodes. Like you have to watch the entire thing. It's very annoying. Um, but I do enjoy it. I like uh, like The Wire. That was an entire season arc for that show. Um, I I just, for me and what I know, Star Trek, and this is probably me just being closed-minded because I like sure. episodic TV. So I do like the fact that there were multiple, like two episodes, obviously, in TNG, but you get you know, three episode arcs or four episode arcs in Enterprise that I think they could utilize maybe a little bit more in Discovery um, and not have such this over this entire season arc. But I, that is just me and my preference. Yeah, that's okay. And, you know, I ask these questions not because I'm trying to be controversial, but I I really want to get to the essence of, of what we can figure out Star Trek is and I think that asking some challenging questions is a, is a good way to analyze the issue. Yeah, agreed. Amy, you've mentioned the fact that you're a teacher and that you have brought Trek into your classroom. How do you actually use Star Trek in the classroom with the kids while you're teaching math? Well, I have used it actually quite a bit. So yeah, the one scene, well, and there's a couple of them, but in the next gen, where they show the holodeck in the grids, you know, with the yellow and black squares. I show that to my kids as an example of a Cartesian coordinate plane in 3D, you know, because usually it's just a plane. So I show them that and how that we would count the grids and, 
you know, and how we move through space. So I have done that. Uh, in TOS, um, Mud's Women, that's the second Harry Mud episode, uh, where there's the computer and they won't allow Kirk to leave. Um, and Kirk talks the computer to death in part by giving him a paradox and tells the computer, I am lying to you. Now, I use that when I'm in my logic and reasoning unit with my students, where we talk about what is a statement. Well, a statement has to be true or false. And that's what computers work on. They're binary. Yes, no, true, false, you know, one, zero. And so I show this clip and well, and before I asked them, I said, well, if I ask you or if I tell you I am lying to you, do you believe me or don't you? Is this a true statement or a false statement? And so it's sort of fun. We go back and forth and then I show them the clip and how it, you know, blows up the, the computer's mind and how old it is and the kids laugh at the uniforms and illogical, illogical. Anyway, so we sort of have fun with that. Um, but yeah, that's um, how just a few examples off the top of my head of how I've used Star Trek. Amy, that is wonderful. And I really enjoy talking to you, but I have to tell you that right now as we speak, the M5 is signaling me that now it is time for you to face the Kobayashi Maru. Okay. A challenging and difficult test, cunningly prepared just for you by the M5. I'm sure it's very similar to what Troy had to go through when she got her uh, command in season six. Oh, right. This is the commander's trials. So should you not only survive the test, but pass it as well, the M5 will award you an honorary Star Trek title on behalf of our podcast. Yay. M5, load the Kobayashi Maru simulation and prepare to record Amy's responses. Kobayashi Maru simulation ordered and ready. Who was a better match for Picard, Vash, the criminal archaeologist, or Anij from Star Trek Insurrection? Oh, Anij, 100%. Q in Next Gen, not enough, too much, or just right? Not enough. Who was a better doctor for the crew, Crusher or Pulaski? <gasps> um, Pulcra, Pulcra. Oh my gosh. Why did you have to ask me this? Okay. For the crew, for the crew, Pulaski. Time for some recreation. Will it be a nice game of 3D chess or some energetic Parisi squares? Oh, 3D chess. I don't want to get hurt. Which is the worst Star Trek snack idea? Guardian of Forever donut holes that make you relive minor but annoying events from your past? Or Hasperat flavored cheesecake that makes your eyes water and your skin crinkle up like a Bajoran's nose? Hasperat cheesecake. The simulation is now complete. M5, compute the results and tell us if Amy has passed the Kobayashi Maru. Amy, congratulations. The M5 tells me that you have passed the test with flying colors. And now the M5, who has analyzed your answers with diligence, will award you an honorary Star Trek title on behalf of our podcast. M5, what title shall we award our guest? Amy Nelson is awarded the title of Director of Admissions for Starfleet Academy. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so there you go. Enjoy that. And you can tell people that you were awarded that title right here on the Trek Profiles podcast. Excellent. Amy, please tell people how they can get in touch with you. 
Well, you can find me on the Trek FM network and I am co-hosting Earl Grey. That's about next generation. I co-host The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And yeah, that's where I'm at. Amy, thank you so much for being part of the Trek Profiles podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really so much fun and, and an honor to be here. Thank you. Here ends this installment of the Trek Profiles podcast. And before we offer a Trek quote to close this episode, I'd like to remind you that you may send us constructive feedback, thoughtful suggestions, or your recipes for an eye-watering Hasperat at feedback at trekprofiles.com or post on Facebook or Twitter at Trek Profiles. Anything you send us may be used in an episode of the podcast or may be fed as data into the M5 for generally nefarious purposes. Who knows? This week, I leave you with a quote from Captain Picard, who said in the episode The Wounded, quote, I think when one has been angry for a very long time, one gets used to it and it becomes comfortable like like old leather. And finally, it becomes so familiar that one can't remember feeling any other way. Here ends the quote. Thanks for listening and live long and prosper. Thank you.